0: Well, thank you, worship team, for an incredible time of worship. Thank you, Southwestern Seminary, for the great honor to be here. I want you to know that Arkansas Baptists love Southwestern Seminary. I love Southwestern Seminary. Most of my staff graduated from Southwestern Seminary. A lot of Arkansas Baptists give sacrificially to the Quadra program missions and directly to the school because they believe this is a special place and a sacred place, so I hope you students here understand that this is a great great place may be in transition but transitions happen all the time but god doesn't transition and so he's placed you here and called you here to prepare you for some great things so we'll eventually make our way this morning to first corinthians chapter three if you want to turn uh, i want to talk about evangelism in tough places what some of you are going to find out when you get on your field is that um, God puts you in a place where the folks are not very responsive and they're not very receptive. And uh, you're going to feel like God has stuck you someplace and he put all the good people at some of the, the nice churches where all the good Baptists are moving in. You know, all the Baptist deacons and all the Baptist leaders and the Baptist deacons kids are moving in. And so what you really don't understand is he may have put some of the soft people there and put you in places where you could do some real work. Don't ever doubt what God is doing with you. Amen. And so many of you will land in places that are really tough places, and they're not responsive, but you need to understand that you can reach folks there. When I was a first-time pastor, I started when I was 21, I would go to some of our state evangelism conferences, and they it was really more of a preaching conferences and a Bible conferences, not evangelism conferences. And they usually had pastors from large churches, suburban Uh, middle-income, predominantly Anglo churches, and they were great preachers, and I love those guys, and I'm not downing them. But here's what they would say. They would say statements like this. They'd say, our church is growing for one reason and one reason only, because because I preach the Bible. Well, that's grandstand preaching. When they said because I preach the the Bible," Bible, every preacher out there said amen. And I'm like, if your church is growing just because you preach the Bible, why have you got forty five staff on your church staff that pay gets paid a whole lot more than me? You need to fire them because it's all about your preaching, and I couldn't take it back and relate, but I tried I really did. I went back to my little rural church in South Arkansas and uh I preached harder and I preached longer and uh I did what a guy in preaching book said, when in danger or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. I tried that, and that didn't work. And nobody came, and it didn't do any good. So finally I realized that something has got to be different about what we do and how we do it. So when you go to work in places that are challenging, you need to understand that you're going to have to start thinking strategically like a missionary, you're going to have to employ strategic missiological principles to do evangelism. Now, prayer is going to be a big part of that because you'll do nothing without prayer. We've had an incredible prayer movement in Arkansas for the last few years of serious, intense prayer, and it has literally changed a lot of the work that we have. But here's here's the way most pastors and most people who talk about evangelism think. We think about evangelism as an event. It's a revival, it's a one-time witness encounter. Uh, Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not. I was heavily influenced by Donald McGavern, who's a missiologist, who said this, follow this. He said, evangelism is not an event. Evangelism is a process that is not complete until the converted are responsible church members. See, Donald McGavern didn't believe in go to New York City and have a harvest event and folks get saved and turn around and walk away. He believed in planting churches, and it's a process that's not complete until these folks are in church and they're being discipled and they learn to be reproducible Christians. But also when it comes to reaching folks in very difficult areas, there's also thinking strategically in the way you do evangelism and leading folks through an evangelism process. So that's what I want to focus on today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's start with verse 1. <clears throat> And by the way, thank you for being patient with my voice during allergy and sinus drainage season. I know that it's difficult for you. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and these will be rewarded according to his own labor. In Corinth, you know the setting here, there's great division, and Paul is addressing the division. And one group said, we're the Apollos group. And one group said, we're the Paul group. And so Paul immediately tries to destroy that. He said, you know, you know what we are? We're just servants. This was, word was used in common everyday language then to mean like of a waiter or a waitress. So if you go to the best restaurant that you know tonight, the waiter brings you a great steak or a great whatever you love, and you call him over and say, listen, hey, man, this is the best meal I've had in a long time. This is so great, I'm going to build a statue in the downtown Fort Worth of you because it's a great meal. Where's well, here's what he'd say. He'd say, number one, I'd rather have the tip instead of a statue. <laughs> Second thing he'd say is, I-, I didn't make the food. Cook in the kitchen made the food. I just brought it to you. If you have a movement, you build a movement after the chef in the kitchen. You don't have a movement after the guy that brought you the food. So he says, so don't follow personalities. Don't follow me, follow God. And he said, I had a role with you and your evangelism, and Apollos had a role with you, but we didn't save you. God made it grow. God is the one that saves, so you've got your focus all wrong. But in the midst of this, he shares... His evangelistic strategy and how they looked at working with the folks at Corinth in this. Notice what he says. He uses a farming or a gardening image. I planted the seed, verse 6. Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. Any of you had much experience with farming or gardening? Raise your hand if you have. I know most of your experiences is Kroger's in the grocery store. I understand But let me tell you, if you're going to grow a garden, there's a process that you employ to grow a garden. The first thing you do if you're going to grow a garden is plant the seed, right? No, that is not the first thing you do. That was a trick question. I'll try not to do any more trick questions. The first thing you're going to do if you plant a garden is you till the ground. Now, how many times do you till the ground? No, no, you have to till the ground and disc the ground until the ground is ready for the seed. Maybe you take a disc and you go this way with a disc and you go this way with a disc. Maybe you take a chisel plow and you go this way and you go this way. There's no set amount of time that you break the ground up. You keep breaking the ground up until the ground is ready for the seed. And then when the ground is ready for the seed, you plant the seed. And then there's a process of cultivation and watering and fertilizing. And maybe a second round of cultivation and watering and fertilizing. As you get close to the harvest, you prepare some place to conserve the harvest, or you will lose the harvest. It may be a shed or your mother-in-law's back porch. You have to find some place. Of course, you know that applies to church work. And then you have the harvest, and then you conserve the results let's say I get up in the morning and we're back in Little Rock area and I'll tell my wife, woman, I'm fixing to go outside and pick a watermelon. She'd say, well, man, you just go outside and pick a watermelon. I'd come back in and I'd say, woman, there's not a watermelon out there. She'd say, man, you didn't plant a watermelon. Why do you think there would be watermelons out there? Now, see, that's how we work with churches. See, we want to harvest, but nobody's, nobody's broken the ground and nobody's planted the seed. We want somebody else to do that. What you have got to learn to do when you do evangelism in tough places and with difficult people, you have got to learn to work these folks through a process that's very much bathed in prayer and led by the Holy Spirit. If you want to harvest, that's how you get a harvest. You just don't walk around. You just don't grab the harvest. There's a process. So here's what I did as a pastor. I... I have a lot of energy, still have a lot of energy. I'm retiring, which means I'm just going to move hopefully from 70 hours a week to maybe 45 hours a week. And I have a lot of energy. So I wore the churches out that I pastor, And we had 52 weeks of disconnected, unconnected, disjointed events. We did stuff. During the times when God was working, it was wonderful. We would celebrate and praise God. And during the dry times, it was like, Lord, why, why is it so dry? What am I doing wrong? Am I not preaching enough? I'm preaching the best sermons I have. What's the deal? We had one fall. They had a lot of decisions. And I started thinking through the people that were making significant life change decisions for the gospel. And I could trace these folks back to multiple connect events from two months to five months to seven months to 12 months, to 18 months, to 18 months. And I saw kind of a progression of working these folks through a process. And then one day in my quiet time, I read this passage, and I'm like, oh Lord, I have to apologize for being so slow. Why couldn't I get this? And I understand that with your church or your ministry area, you have to, you trust God to work in any way He wants to do it, but you trust God work folks through a process, and you can plan strategically in what you do. There's two tools that missionaries use, and I'm sure you know these, and for the sake of being redundant, I just want to use them out, but notice the process. Engel scale is a religious knowledge scale. <clears throat> Minus eight is an awareness of a supreme being, but no effective knowledge of the gospel. Minus seven is an initial awareness of the gospel. Minus six is an awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel. Minus five is a grasp of the implication of the gospel. Minus four is a positive attitude toward the gospel. Minus three is a personal problem recognition. That's conviction. Minus two is a decision and act, act, then repentance and faith, and then post decisions. Another scale that I like to use is the resistance receptivity scale. It rates people from being highly resistant and strongly opposed to the gospel to highly... Receptive and strongly favorable to the gospel. Here's what it looks like. Minus five, highly resistant, strongly opposed to your church and your gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Minus four, minus three, somewhat resistant, moderately resistant, somewhat opposed to your church, your ministry and your gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Minus two, minus one, slightly Resistant, slightly opposed to your church, your gospel, your ministry. Zero, they're just indifferent. Plus one, slightly receptive, slightly favorable to your church, your ministry, your gospel. Plus two, plus three, moderately receptive, moderately favorable to your church and your ministry. Plus four, plus five, highly receptive, strongly favorable to your church and your gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question, and I'm going to answer it because you got the first one wrong a while ago. Where do you think most folks get saved? Over here, highly receptive, strongly favorable to the gospel, or over here, highly resistant, strongly opposed to the gospel? Well, it's over here. Now, understand this. God can, the Holy Spirit can take folks from over here, minus 5 to plus 5, and two minutes flat because he's God, and that's what he does. And there have been times I've shared the gospel with the hardest folks in the world and instant conviction came on them but it was like something almost frightening and they get saved. But here's the deal with me. That was not my experience. I pastored six, 15, 16 years, 16 years before I went to work with Arkansas Baptist State Convention, four churches The first three churches were in places that were very, very challenging and difficult. We had no good Baptists moving in; all the good Baptists were moving out. There was very unhealthy churches, massive problems in the past. So I had two things, two options. First, I sent my resume to all the great places where everybody's moving—you know, Springdale and Fayetteville and Little Rock—and I did. Nobody called. So I had to go to plan B, make it work where I was. And I remember thinking, Lord, what are you doing to me? Third church, the fourth church was very easy. It was in a growing area, and it was not difficult at all. We reached massive numbers of radical pagans, but it was really easy. When I went to work for the wonderful people in Arkansas and looked back, I realized most churches with whom I would work were like the first 12, 13 years of my ministry. And I thank God for what happened. So what do you think happened those first 12, 13 years, those real tough places? No good, bad, just moving in. Here's what my prospect list looked like. If I had a prospect list, I'd have a name and something beside it. A name and been divorced two times. Name, been divorced three times. Name, living with a somebody. Name, living with somebody. Name, living with somebody. Name, uh, says they're an atheist. name says they're agnostic. Name says all religions are the same. Name says they get drunk every Friday night at the deer camp. Name, they get drunk every Saturday night at the hunting camp. Name, they get drunk every Friday night and Saturday night at the hunting camp. Name, they get drunk every Sunday afternoon at the golf course. And that's my prospect list. So you want to know what happened? We knocked the top out. We knocked the top out. We reach so many of these folks. If I start saying much about it, I'll cry. We saw God move many times month after month after month. But here's what I learned to do. Learned to work, folks, through a process. And I learned that I had to find a way to connect. Let me give you some examples. Let me bring it home practical. One of the churches, the folks told me, he said, this old man lives on the highway. And they said, don't go see him, Brother Sonny. he hates preachers and he hates the church well they had to be scared to death of him and I thought how can you be scared of an 84 year old guy so I pulled up to the house one day and I saw him on the front porch rocking and I slowed down to turn in and I chickened out and I drove on I came back a couple weeks later I saw him on the porch rocking and I was going to turn in and I slowed down I chickened out and I drove on and I thought now this is ridiculous So I turned around and drove up. I said, it can't be that bad. So I started to get out. He said, who are you? And I thought, I made a mistake. I should have drove on, you know. I said, I'm I'm Sonny Tucker. the past. I know who you are. What are you doing here? And I thought, now listen, I'd read you're supposed to be dignified, but I know tough, crusty old men. I can relate to tough, crusty old men. So I'm just going to revert back to what feels natural. I said, can I shoot you straight? He said, you bad. You shoot me straight. That's why I like it. I said, I heard you was the meanest guy in the county, and I had to come see for myself. He said, I am the meanest guy in the county, and I have been known to fight. You do well to steer clear of me. I said, you're 84 years old. I think I can outrun you. <laughs> he died laughing. So I went and sat up on the porch. He said, I'm glad you came. I don't know why you Baptists think dancing is wrong. I said, you're 84 years old with a cane and you want to talk about dancing? He said, I don't know why you think this is wrong. Why do you think this is wrong? Well, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. He said, don't you have an opinion? I got an opinion about everything. Well, the only one thing I'm going to talk to you about and that's Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. That made him mad. So we chatted a little bit and I got ready to go. And I said, before I go, I said, uh, I just want you to know that I'd like to be your pastor. You never have to come to church for me to be your pastor. We'd like to be your church. You never have to come to church for us to be your church. He said, I'm not coming. I said, that's okay. I said, is there two things I can pray for you about? Ah. Oh, he got real somber. Hmm. Ooh, Took me a curveball there, preacher. He said, uh, my sister's in a nursing home down in Austin, Texas. I don't get to see her anymore. And he said, I got a uh, a niece that's going through a bad divorce up in uh, Detroit. Would you pray for them? Absolutely. Now, here's what he doesn't know. I just became his pastor and I'll be back in two weeks. See. So I came back and I prayed for him and, and asked him, could I give him a little blue gospel track? And he said, No, I saw that in your pocket. You need to hide it a little better. He said, If you're going to bring a gospel track. And I had to get in a Gideon New Testament in my pocket. He said, Not ready for that. So I came back two weeks later, and he was raking pine straw in the backyard on a cane with a rake. I helped him rake pine straw. We didn't talk about anything serious. I prayed for his sister and for his niece. I came back two weeks later, he's shelling butter beans i just tell you, I hate shelling butter beans. I'll shell purple whole peas. I would only shell butter beans for Jesus. I'm just telling you. I shelled butter beans for 45 minutes, and I hate it. I shelled butter beans, and we just chatted, and he told stories. I came back two weeks later, and he's sitting there with a the Bible on the coffee table beside the rocking chair. I said, what are you doing with that Bible? You don't even believe that. He said, oh, you might be surprised. That's all he wanted to say. I came back two weeks later. He asked me some questions about the Bible. I came back two weeks later. I shared the gospel. I came back two weeks later. You know what he did? Dear Lord Jesus, save me. I'm sorry. I give you my life. <laughs> this is a guy. They said you can't do it. Process. It's a process. Another guy in one of the churches I pastored owned an electric company, and he was a tough guy. He was a big partier, and his sister went to her church. We prayed for him every Wednesday night. Well, I'm just going to go see him, so I went and knocked on the door, came to the door, and he's kind of like this. I said, listen, I'm Sunday talk. Well, I just came by to tell you, if you ever want to have a church, we'd love to be a church. If you need a preacher, we would love to be a preacher, but you never have to come, never have to give a dime. I just want to know if I can pray for you. Huh? <laughs> Sure. So he gave me two prayer requests. I prayed for him on the front door. and it was the last time I saw him. Two, three weeks later, we had a city festival that was really a pretty much a drunk fest, to be honest. And I got to be in the barbecue eating contest. I was a judge of the barbecue eating contest, probably the closest I've been to heaven, you know, in that whole decade <laughs> of my life. Well, I walked out, and he's across the street with all his buddies, and, and they got long neck something, and I don't think it was Mountain Dew. And so I see them and they see me and I start walking that way and they're like, you know, kind of like that. I just went up and shook their hand. Guys, good to see you, man, how you doing? You been catching any fish and blah, blah, blah. And I turned around and walked away. They were kind of like, he was nice to me. We got long necks in our hands. He was on a forklift with a new employee uh, wiring the top of a shop. And the employee said he knew how to run the forklift, and he didn't, hit the wrong button, the forks went down, the pallet fell, he fell 18 feet, and broke his back, so he put him in the hospital. So I drive two hours, so we're so already, ready. We've been praying for him, we're already here, we're here. So I drive two hours to the hospital to see him in the hospital. He didn't let me share the gospel. But I want to tell you, you, you can be sneaky and share the gospel during the praying time. I know, I don't know if it's ethical or not, but they don't stop you. You just can't go very long, you know. So I shared the plan of salvation three visits straight in a row when he wouldn't let me share it. Lord, forgive me, you know. So then two of the deacons went to see him, and then I went back to see him in the hospital, and then some folks mowed his grass, and we had some folks that fed his hunting dogs, and we had somebody that did this for him, and he was blown away by the kindness not only did we connect with him and show that we cared about him, we convinced him of his value to God. And so one day when I got home, you're not going to believe what he did. Dear Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you for being the Savior, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. I give you my life. The guy they said you couldn't reach, is it really that difficult? We had a, one of the hobbies I had as a pastor, I had two hobbies. I asked the church to let me work with students. Uh, firsthand, I asked the church to let me start a new small groups, mainly Sunday schools, many small groups. I personally started over 20 because here's what I know. You don't have people just because they're attending church. You have people when they're in a small group. That's when they get connected, and that's when they stay. So I was going to start a new, new class for some young adults, and we would had some that were coming, and some made connections. So uh, to start off, I found 40 prospects, invited all 40, 28 showed up. One of the guys I connected with at uh, Farmers Association, he and his father were actually very wealthy and uh, farmed a lot of land. I invited him to come. The only thing we did spiritual at this, we had it. was at our house. Nicky helped me cook hamburgers, and they played volleyball. These, These guys, these big old farm guys, they were slamming each other in the face with that volleyball. I remember thinking, dear Lord, there's going to be a fight. There's no way. That, and I'm not going to break it up. They're too big. They're just going to, to kill each other. So if you'll stop it, I'll just trust you. So we got through. We had fun. All we did, spiritual, was pray. Because, see, here's the thing. These folks are over here. The ground has not been broken. Let me tell you where we tend to be good. We're good over here with folks that are receptive to the gospel. We're good over here with folks that have come to church, come to revival, the send their kids to vacation, Bible school, the backyard Bible clubs. Folks, most of the time we stink with folks over here. But you can't write these folks off. These are precious people to Jesus. These are folks that the Holy Spirit works on. 2 Corinthians 4 says the God of this world has blinded the minds of these unbelievers. They don't think they count to the church. They don't think they matter to Christians. They don't think they have any value to God. And a lot of times to break the ground, you've got to get through some of this. But always, always, always with most folks like this, not all, most folks, religion and religious matters are personal. And many times they let friends talk to them about these issues. So there's got to be a connect. So we had this Sunday school party, and we had a, to start a class, and we had a lot of fun. Well, this great old big farmer comes up. He's one of those guys. He's big. I mean, he doesn't even look like his, his shoulder muscles are so big, it looks like you cut his neck off and stuck it on his shoulders, you know. And he walked up, and he said, Brother Sonic, can I talk to you? I said, sir. He said, <laughs> he said, we had a lot of fun here tonight, didn't we? I said, we really did. He said, I just got to tell you, I didn't think you bad, just believing and having fun. <laughs> I said, well, most of them don't. I'll just tell you. He, I know, I know. He said, uh, all this laughing going on. He said, uh, am I to believe that nobody here was under the influence of alcohol? I said, well, the two deacons that were here, I don't know. But the other ones, I think it's okay. <laughs> well, he laughed because he knew the two deacons and they were very close friends of his and had been working on him for a long time. He said, wow. He said, i will ask you another question. He said, uh, nobody here made a pass at my old lady. Every party I go to, somebody makes a pass at my old lady. And I started, well, started to say, well, she's really not that good looking. But I didn't say that. I went on past it. <clears throat> he said, let me ask you a serious question. I said, okay. He said, uh, me and my old lady ain't married. Your folks know that. I said, small town, everybody knows it. He said, you didn't say anything to me about it. I said, that's none of our business. He said, that's right. That is none of your business. But I know y'all don't believe in it. I said, let me just tell you, Jesus loves you like you are. And we love you like you are. And when you make a decision to receive Christ as Savior, he's got plans for you. He knew what that meant. He knew what that meant. He said, well, I'll be. So he didn't come to church for several more months. He went to Another young adult fellowship on Sunday night. He went on a men's fishing trip. He went with some of our members doing different things. Multiple. And then you and I are going to believe what happened. I went to see them one day and they held hands and prayed together to be saved. And the next three days later, I did a private ceremony for them on Friday afternoon in the church. And, and they did this. I do, I do. It was wonderful. Last story I'll tell you, but I could tell you stories till 5 o'clock today. Had a couple I'd worked with, and she had a a physical challenge uh, to be descriptive. She had an arm that was uh, uh, about this long and looked like a little finger on the end. She was very embarrassed about it, and they were a farm family. And so they didn't get out in public much, and uh, she'd been made fun of all her life and never felt like she was important, never felt like she was valuable. And we were trying our best to reach out to her. And they just, the God just laid them on her heart. You know, so I went by to see them and just chatted and visited and prayed with them. And the deacons went by to see them and visited, chatted, and the Sunday school class went by and visited. And they, the dad went on a fishing trip and brought his little, his, his small son. It was a father-son deal. And then I think the the women did something. They came and, all these multiple touches, all these things. They finally came to church one Sunday morning. And their little son, three or four years old, had never been in a setting like that. And, and he was so loud. He had a truck and he banged on the pew in front of them. Ah, they couldn't stop him. Now, honestly, I love the sound of kids in church and I don't mind distraction. Uh, I only notice if everybody else notices, but it was, it was to a new level like we've not seen. And my heart is broken while I'm preaching. And I know what's going to happen. This is it. So uh, I said amen. And the piano player started playing. And she played. You know, she played maybe half a verse. And she quit. And ran down the side door and got to the back. Because you know who the first ones out the back door was? It was his family, right? And so this is a lady. They're very wealthy farmers. They're not fancy. But they they just do well. Very godly lady plays piano. She went to the door, and she got down on her knees on that dirty wooden floor with that really nice dress, and they were about the first ones out. She shook the mom and dad's hand, and she grabbed him and said, Little Robert, I'm going to tell you, you're the most special person here, and I love you in such an incredible way, but as much as I love you, Jesus loves you and more. Can I hug your neck? Boy, she hugged his neck. And I'm watching the mom and dad. First, they had tears of embarrassment. Now they got tears of some, some kind of joy. Like I came to this place and I, we just took over the whole service. And, and and Brother Sonny couldn't even preach and it was terrible. And, and she hugs my son and gets on that floor in that real nice dress. <laughs> you know what happened the next visit? Do I have to tell you what happened the next visit? When you get to a tough place, you pray through this, and you think through this. Put this in your church calendar. When you work with your grandfather or your alcoholic uncle or your neighbor or the kid down the street that's so tough, you know what God showed me for 12 years? Tucker, I'm going to call you Later to help the wonderful state of Arkansas and 1,563 churches to reach people that are seemingly difficult in places that may be challenging. And I want you to help those folks that have the same mindset as a hardened missionary who may go all over the world, that those are folks that I love and my son died for. And I'm going to help you learn to connect and treat them with kingdom value and kingdom respect. And you'll reach those folks that I'm calling those folks. You go back and you look at how many folks are now school teachers and are in the ministry. It's unbelievable. Don't you dare feel like when God puts you in a challenging place that he's dumped you because you're not as good as the folks who you think are more bright, shiny, and more talented. He puts you in a place as his ambassador and his servant because he's got folks there that he wants you to connect with and administer to. And to be very, very wise and give the Holy Spirit a chance to break this ground that's hardened by the little G-O-D of this world to where you can finally plant the seed and let the Holy Spirit start taking that seed and applying it to their heart. And then by touches and by friendships and by ministries, they start to break the stronghold of the devil and see Jesus does love me. I have great value to God. And then one day you'll show up and it'll be so easy. (laughs) They just get saved. And you'll understand that he gets all the glory and he did every bit of it. So when you go to those tough places, embrace that, do what God wants you to do. And by the way, so you go to a tough place and nothing happens. Notice what he says. Each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Maybe you're not the person that leads them to Jesus but you're part of the process. Last example, and I'll quit. A priest of revival for a big, significant Baptist leader, and his grandson came and got saved. They'd been praying for his grandson for a long time. It was very emotional. It was really good. And I heard from the boy for several years after that, you know, how God was doing so I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't think I'll be judged for my sin. I think Jesus was judged for my sin. But I'll be judged for what I did and the opportunities I had. And I think he'll look at me and say, Tucker, <clears throat> maybe in this illustration, he'll say, Tucker, you did right at that revival. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then there'll be some lady, she's about this t- tall and about this wide, and he'll give her the same commendation as he gave me for this young man that got saved. And I know what I'll do. I'll say, Jesus, she wasn't in there when he got saved. Why did you give her the same commendation as me? This is a woman that taught him in third grade Sunday school, and he heard the gospel from her. There's a big, tall farmer with a straw hat on, and he gets the same accommodation as me. Jesus, why did you give him accommodation? commendation? He's the guy that put together the hayride when the kid came to church for his first time. And then here's the person that let him inquire, and he's the person that, uh, that sang, and here's the person that welcomed them every Sunday, and this is the person that prayed for them, and a whole line of folks, everybody gets the exact, same commendation from this young man for what he did because not everybody can be a harvester every time But here's what he said everybody has a part in the evangelism process Some of you are really good at breaking the ground and some of you are really good at planting the seed And some of you are good with the process and some of you are great with the harvest but everybody says I'm the one that does the saving I get all the glory And I intend to use the students at Southwestern Seminary right now to do unbelievable, incredible things to pull folks out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light for my glory, by my power. Father, speak to these wonderful students. Put them in places where there are divine appointments. Put them in places where they can make a difference. Put them in places Even though they're seemingly difficult and challenging, you are the Lord God. Help them to be very, very wise and catch on to what Paul and Apollos caught on, that they had different roles in different ministries, and maybe we don't get to be the ones that lead them all to Jesus, but all rewarded the same. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the privilege of being in the business of reaching lost people. Bless this great school. Bless these incredible students. In Christ's name we pray, amen.